thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Uh, while you're doing that, let me read to you the scripture I wanted to share with you in Psalm 25. Uh, it, I was just captivated by this verse. It says, Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they have been of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth. Nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. I titled our message today, The Love and Security of Our Abba Father. Because as you know, as just as well as I do, that we are living in successive fatherless generations. And it's had a profound effect on our society. And it's had a profound effect on many of you. And has wounded you deeply because of how your father treated you. Or how you didn't have a father. Or maybe not just you. You know, because you could look at a Bible study like this and say, well, wait a minute. I I grew up in a pretty good home and I had a pretty good dad. But I dare say that if fatherlessness didn't affect you personally, there's somebody very, very close to you. A friend, a neighbor that fatherlessness has just wreaked havoc on our society and societies around the world. Because of the rampantness of fatherlessness, because men are abandoning their families and turning their backs on their wives and their kids, it's wrecked. It's wrecked people's lives. And we see so many growing up without the hope and the help that they could get from a dad, without direction hurting and aimless. Their dads have abandoned them and abused them and pushed them away from love. It's been proven to be true, but we don't need the statistics. Fatherlessness leads to crime, anger, anxiety, fear, addictions, suicide. It leads to the breakdown of families both now and for future generations unless God intervenes. The effects upon the fatherless fatherless last for years and years. If you survey the men and the women that are serving time in prison right now, most of them, the numbers are astronomically high. They didn't have a dad in their life or their dad left them or was a poor example of a dad. And that stuff is all around us, including in our church. Some of you are carrying deep, deep wounds that just seem never to heal. They seem to scab over and then something or someone picks the scab and there you are having to deal with. And isn't he wonder that, that the enemy would have such an attack on fathers that make kids just not believe in dads and not believe that there ever could be a dad, not believe they could ever be a dad because of all the ways that God reveals himself in scripture, the one way he reveals himself the most as is as a dad. We use the word father, it's, it's what's translated in our Bibles, and, and, and it's like, like the formality of it, where, where God is father and, and we are uh, his children. But, but Paul, he gives us such a deep understanding of who God is, both here in Romans and also in Galatians, that he's much more than just father. Let me give you a few things how God reveals himself. First of all, we find God comparing himself to a mother, 
a mother eagle that stirs up the nest in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11. As an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, spreading out its wings and taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led them. You know, God compares himself to a mother hen wanting to draw in her chicks in Psalm 36, verse 7. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. And remember Jesus said the same thing in, in Matthew chapter 23 when he wept over Jerusalem. And he said, how often I wanted to gather you like a hen and his chicks, but you were not willing. God reveals himself as a shepherd with his sheep in Ezekiel 34 verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, indeed I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day, he is among his scattered sheep. Jesus would say in John 10, I am the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. God reveals himself and compares himself as a husband to his wife in Isaiah 54 verse 5. For your maker is your husband and the Lord of hosts is his name. He reveals himself, compares himself to a bridegroom to his bride in Isaiah 61 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments. And today, notice in Romans chapter 8, in verse 15, we learn that God reveals himself to us as an Abba, as a dad. He says, for you did not receive, this is Romans 8, 15, You do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Circle that phrase, Abba, Father. And right next to it, the word daddy. It's a very special term of endearment. If you go to Israel with us and you walk down the streets of Jerusalem and you see the family shopping, and you see a little kiddo running up to his dad, you'll hear him say, Abba, Abba, Abba. It's the equivalent of us calling our Dads, dads, that's what I called my dad. You might have had your own name. I was staying with a pastor recently uh, as I taught at his church and I was over at his home and all of his kiddos uh, ran around the house calling him Papa, Papa. That was his name, Daddy. I know this can be one of the most difficult pictures of God for some of you. Because of the way you were raised, because of your life, Your dad wasn't there for you. He abandoned you or left you. Or maybe the dad you had was harsh and hurtful. Wasn't reliable for you or helpful. Maybe your dad was just there but a plain bad example to you. And when you think of Father's Day and you think of God as your father, it's the farthest thing from your mind that you want to think of with God. The memories are just too painful. They're too hard. And the picture can make you actually be more distant from God than close. But that's not the heart of God for you. God's heart for you is that when you think of God, you think of a father with all the aspects of a father. A father that loves you, that affirms you, that gives you his name. A father that's there to provide security for you and safety. A father that loves you without regard of what you did today or what you did tomorrow or what you might do in the future, what you might have done in the past. I understand that and I pray that 
And I have been praying that your heart would be open to the most wonderful, beautiful picture of our God in all the Bible as Abba. That you would be able to accept his love and his mercy today and receive it and not resist him. Of course, it doesn't take long when I'm studying a text like this to think about it in in the context of my own life, just like you do when you're listening to a Bible study. I'm a dad. I've had the privilege of being a dad for 30 years now. Uh, My oldest son would have been 30, and he was born to us when we were teenagers. And, you know, I was the worst dad that you could possibly think of. I, I wasn't a dad. There's just no way if I would have gone, if we would have continued in the way that I was, I, I wouldn't be a dad. I wouldn't have any part of my kid's life, I'm sure. I'm for good reason. You know, I, I often share things like that, you know, when I'm sharing portions of my testimony and, and a lot of times some responses come back like, oh, I don't believe that, I don't believe it. Let me paint pictures for you that might be able to relate to you what kind of dad or what kind of person I was. Back in that time uh, in, in my life, as a, as a father, you know, as a, someone that created a child, I mean, it wasn't that I didn't love him. It's just I had no idea what I was doing. And nor did I desire to know what to do. And my hero, my hero was from a current television show back in the late 80s. This is the guy I wanted to be. This is the guy that I thought I was. And this is the guy that I lift, looked up in my life. It wasn't my own dad. This is the, how my thinking was. I wasn't trying to be like my own dad, but this guy really impressed me. His name was Al. Al Bundy. I'm married with children. Beer in his hand, screaming at his wife, crude with his kids, you know, just a foul mouth. And, and um, that was my, I, I'm being legit with you. I thought that guy was legit. I thought that was a good way to raise your house. Boss your kids around. Treat them like junk. Talk to them like that. You know, it's quite sad because recently we finally have been able to develop enough courage and and enough strength in our lives to go back and watch through uh, some of our old home videos. Um, I remember when I bought my first video camera as a young dad, Marie and I were separate, uh, and I really believed that she would take Eddie and never let me see him again. I really believe that because that's how bad I was. So I went down to Montgomery Ward. I had no job. I opened up a credit card account and I bought one of those big cameras that you put on your shoulder and I took as much video as I possibly could of my kid thinking I'd never see him again. And so, uh, of course, he hated the video camera in front of him and all the time you see some of the videos, he didn't want anything to do with it, but I'm glad we did. And we started watching some of those videos again and recently, um, they're embarrassing. They're embarrassing. It's an embarrassing thing to listen to what kind of mouth I had, to how I treated my kid, my son, and even, even as God was developing me with our other two kids, just learning. It's an embarrassment. I'm living proof that God can save a dad. He can make a dad out of a crude man. He can interrupt a life and change if that man is ready and willing to change if he's ready to stick it out and make the right choices. I'm so grateful that God broke through. Even though I made mistake after mistake, even though my parenting was absolutely just like the TV, my poor son enduring the stupidity of a man who wasn't a man, God broke through. 
and I became a dad to that boy, and what joyful love we experience now as God gave us two more children, uh, born to two, two young kids growing up that were born again, and looking back at this year, just thinking how, uh, where Chris has 18 years, Marie and I have 28 years together, by the grace of God. God can do that work in your life, church. He can do that work in your life. But you've got to come to your dad and receive his mercy and his grace and his love. You've got to open up and understand that God doesn't want to dictate to you. He doesn't want to be a taskmaster to you. He doesn't want you to be a good little Christian boy and Christian girl. He's not looking for you to change your behavior and change the way you dress and change. He's looking for you to love him and come to him and surrender your life and surrender your hurt and surrender your pain. He wants you to stop blaming. He wants you to stop finger pointing. Why? Because he's hovering over you, wanting to hurt you? No, because he he knows it's hurting you. And it's hindering you and holding you back from being the dad and ladies from being the mom that he wants you to be. It's hindering you from enjoying the relationship that's available to you. You didn't receive, it says, Paul says, you didn't receive the spirit of bondage. He didn't give you fear. He, He gave you the spirit of adoption so that now you cry out, Abba, Father. How do we know that? Well, in verse 16, the very Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us bears witness with our spirit that we are kids, we are children of God. You are God's kid, you that are born again. You are God's kid. He's your dad. He he is your father. And he wants us to express our emotions toward him. He wants us to know that without any doubts that we are his kids and he loves us supremely. I know this is a struggle for many of you because Christianity has just been reduced down to church attendance and feeling bad when you don't read your Bible. But God is so much bigger than that. He's so much bigger than going through the motions. He's so much bigger than us just putting on a face. He's so much more full of love and mercy and forgiveness than just the first time you repented of your sins. He's so much more than just the time he rescued you when you cried out to him. He wants you to enjoy him. He wants you to be loved by him. He wants you to receive his love. Letting him define it for you. He adopted you. You know what that means? That means he chose you. He took you. He cares for you. He's raising you. And he loves you as his own child. Imagine that. As far away from God as we were, God adopted us. Once again, this is a personal, this hits me personally because I was adopted. We don't know the full story. Uh, With my birth parents, other than they couldn't take care of a child, and abortion was illegal in the late 60s, for which I'm grateful. They took me and put me into the Los Angeles County adoption system. And while they were doing that, there was a couple over here that were unable to conceive a child. And they had already adopted a daughter and they wanted a son. And so unable to conceive a child, they entered into the adoption system on this side, went through all the paperwork. And 
they were invited on that day when everything was approved that they could come into this room and I don't quite know how it all works uh, but it sounds like there was a room full of babies and they were able to pick one and they picked me (laughs) and little did they know that 23 years of hell (laughs) would be theirs and we do laugh about it and I sometimes could get my parents to laugh about it before they went home to be with the Lord but that's just the way it was they had no idea what they were getting into. And they chose me. And, and they chose me. I, I didn't stand up on the crib up there, me, 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 you know. Yes, it's me, you know, nothing like that. Uh, they walked through and somehow that's the one, that's the one. And they chose me. They took me home. They cared for me. They fed me. They clothed me. They allowed me to stay in a room in their house. They let me go with them in their car. They loved me, raised me, everything as if I was their child. Why? Because I was their child. They adopted me. And as far back, any recollection I ever have of my parents, as far back as my mind will possibly go, there was never one second in my life that I ever doubted that they were my parents. And that was my family. And how we would ever be able to tell how God would providentially take a little baby from a womb into a crib in an adoption agency adopted by these parents and the chain of events that would lead to this very day. Only God knows what he's doing in your life and in mine. But I could tell you this, he is doing something. He is at work in our lives. I am a tailor. I am their son. In our final moments today, I want to give you a few things to chew on as it relates to the Father's love. One of them is in 2 Samuel. Would you turn there with me in 2 Samuel? We have a season, an episode in the life of King David that I think is very instructive of God's heart towards you. Oftentimes, David is seen as a type of Jesus Christ, and indeed he is. But today, I want, to, I want you to see him as a type of the Father and his love for you. You see... David was Israel's second king. Israel's first king was a man by the name of Saul. And Saul had so much potential, but he failed miserably as a king. God sent a man by the name of Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king. And eventually, this young, ruddy boy by the name of David is revealed, and Samuel pours oil over him and anoints him the first king, and then there's a a second king, and then there's a long period of time between of waiting for that fulfillment. He had received a word from God, but it wasn't fulfilled right away. It was for the appointed time. And in that in-between time of waiting, King Saul made it his point to go after David and kill him and take him out. He was jealous And the things that people do because of jealousy are so painful to others. And Saul was unsuccessful and dies. King David comes to the throne. The second king as God God ordained. And when David comes to the throne, the family of Saul runs away. They are afraid for their lives because in that day... The normal thing to do with with kings and kingdoms was that when a king died and a new king took their place, it was customary to wipe out the whole family of the previous king. That way there'd be no error, there'd be no confusion. It was a brutal way to rule, but that was the rule of the day. And yet that was not the heart of God with David. 
and the family ran away, and while they were running away, Saul's grandson was dropped by his nurse and was permanently disabled from that fall. He ends up, as an adult, living a ways from Jerusalem in a town by the name of Lodabar. And it's here in chapter 9 where David, no doubt, is, has his kingdom. This is 2 Samuel 9. David has his kingdom and he's beginning to think, how can I show the love of God? How, how can I show, as you'll see in a moment, notice verse 1. Now David said, is there still anyone who's left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? If you'd like to write in your Bible, circle that word kindness. It's also used down in verse 3, the kindness of God. It, it literally means love, mercy, grace. It could also mean loving kindness. It, it has the idea of being benevolent towards someone, blessing someone. Asking nothing. How can I show kindness? Is there anyone left? Jonathan's sake. Now Jonathan was Saul's son and David's best friend. And as he's sitting there in his righteous rule, he begins to think, how can I bless someone? How, how can I, how, how can I, I've been so, God has blessed me so much. How can I bless? And there was a servant, it says in verse 2, of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and when they called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, yes, that's at your service. And the king said, is there still not someone in the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said, there's still a son of Jonathan who's lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel and Lodabar. And the king, verse five, sent and brought him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel of Lodabar. And when Mephibosheth, that's his, that's his name, Mephibosheth, you moms looking for a Bible name for your kids, Mephibosheth, there's a hundred bucks in it if you do it. Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David. He fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here is your servant. Now don't, um, don't, don't misunderstand. Mephibosheth has been far away from David, kind of living in, in seclusion because he wants to preserve his life. We read the Bible stories like they're just so simple and you just kind of read through and yeah, this happened and this happened. But man, this is, this is the kind of situation where your heart is beating and your blood is rushing and your adrenaline is pumping and your fight or flight has kicked in and you have no idea. Why, why did you call me after all these years? What do you want? Or do you want to take me out? I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to come. I don't want the throne. I just want to live my life. I'm already lame. I don't have anything to offer you. Why did you call me? That's where Mephibosheth is. He's not just a couple words on a piece of paper. He's wrestling with the reality of his could be the last day of his life. I, I really believe that if changes don't take place in your life, and I'm speaking to some, I think it's a word from the Lord. It's to some, whether you're in the room or you're out on the radio right now. Uh, but if you don't make a change in your, in your life right now, it's going to be the end. You don't think it is because you've gotten away with so much. You've gotten away screaming at your wife. You've gotten away at throwing your kids around. They've forgiven you and they've come, but they're afraid of you. They don't want anything to do with you. And they're only there because they have nowhere else to go. And if you don't change, you're going to lose it all. You're going to lose it all. And today's the day of change. It's going to be gone. 
You don't want your wife or your kids in fear of you. And it could be, a, it could be to a woman today. It could be that's how you run your house. You just kind of learn that way. And that's the house you grew up in. And that's the house hey, all the way through generationally. But, but if you don't change, it's going to be the end. And that's just the word of the Lord to you. And if you're on the other end of some kind of abuse or difficulty, stop identifying yourself by it and identify yourself by the love of God. Obviously, if you're being physically abused today, get out of there. That's the counsel of the Lord. You won't be any good in that relationship unless you're safe and healthy. I mean, we're talking real life, aren't we? The effect of fatherlessness and the effect of of a dad or a husband not realizing. Mephibosheth comes and and he says, you know, here I am. And we know he's afraid because in verse 7, David says, don't fear. I'm going to show you kindness for your Jonathan, your father's sake. And I'm going to restore to you all that was taken. Everything that belonged to your grandpa, I'm giving it to you. And you'll eat bread at my table continually. I mean, he's saying, he's saying right now, he's saying, look, look, I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to take you in. You're not going to live in seclusion anymore. You're not going to live in fear anymore. You're you're not going to have to live like this anymore. You're going to move in with me and I'm going to feed you every day and I'm going to take care of you. Anything that you need, all that was taken away from you, I'm going to restore. Like the Bible says that God restores the years that the locust has eaten. This is David representing God the Father to you right now saying, come to me. And you go, what, me? Who am I? You see, in a moment, Mephibosheth, as he answers, he, he's so overwhelmed, he bowed himself in verse 8. What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Who are we? What do we deserve? Why would you show such kindness to us, God? Why would you be so merciful to us? Why would you be so faithful when we're faithless? Why are you for us and not against us? seems like everybody else is against us why are you for us and and what do i have to offer the creator today what what do we have to offer except a broken and contrite heart acknowledging acknowledging the father's love in our lives and receiving it and then giving it because i think for the true believer deep down inside that's your desire even though you might feel ill-equipped or you didn't have a good example god is with you Let me give you a few verses before we leave. I want to show you nine things about the Father. Nine truths about your Father in heaven. You might feel like Mephibosheth today, and who am I as such a dead dog? I've ruined it all. Everything's crushed. There's no hope. It's not true. The Father's calling you to the the palace and saying, "I'm, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you just because of who you are but because of who I am, I want to show God's kindness to you. I want, I'm, going to, I'm going to take you in. I'm going to feed you the rest of your life. You'll never have a worry or a concern. I'm going to provide for you forever. First of all, I want you to know that God will never forsake you. Your Father in heaven will not forsake you. Psalm 27, verse 10. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take, take care of me. God will take care of you. Number two, God will be a father to you. He'll be a father to you that are fatherless. Psalm 68, verse 5, a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, 
is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. That would be a whole Bible study that I would teach to encourage you in adoption or foster care. There's so many kids that, that need a home and some of you have been called to do that and, and God sets the solitary in families. Just like you become a part of the family of God, he takes the solitary and he puts us in families. Thirdly, God is our father and we are his kids. First John chapter three, verse one. See how very much our heavenly father loves us for he allows us to be called his children and we really are. <clears throat> but the people who belong to this world don't know God so they don't understand that we are his children. Yes, dear friends, we are already God's children and we can't even imagine what we'll be like when Christ returns. But we do know that when he comes, we will be like him for we will see him as he really is. And everyone that believes will keep themselves pure just as Christ is pure. Number three, God our Father is gracious to us even when we're selfish. Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. And then he said, <clears throat> I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. Number five, God our Father is gentle, even if and when we're harsh. Hosea chapter 11, verse four. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. And I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped down and fed them. Number six, God our dad, he gives us good gifts. James chapter one, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Number seven, God our Father, our dad is compassionate. Psalm 103 verse 14. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him for he understands how weak we are. He knows that we're only dust. Number eight, God protects his kids. Our father protects us. Psalm 61 verse one. Hear my cry, O God, and attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I'll cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. And I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. And finally, number nine, God our Father gives us direction, which includes discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, verse five. And you have forgotten and, have you for, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Dads, moms, singles, you single parents, especially you single moms, You've been doing double duty for so long now. Fulfilling both the role of mom in a very real way, the, the role of dad in your life, in your kids' lives. My prayer is that you leave here with the confidence of your father's love for you. His mercy and his grace. His loving kindness. As today I get the picture of God, very much like David sitting there and saying, who can I show kindness on today? Who can I bless? Who can I encourage? Who can I lift their spirits? If you just keep coming in and out of this building or flipping on and off the radio with the attitude of 
doing some kind of religious duty and coming to church and enduring some long Bible study and whatever it is in your mind, if, you, if that just continues to be, you're, you're going to miss out on how much the Lord loves you, on what price was paid so that God might have a relationship with you and reveal to you, despite any of your bad examples, what a true father is really like, how he's there in your life. I pray that, that he would heal the wounds in your life that are so deep. Fatherlessness has wounded us. Whether directly or indirectly, it's just put an arrow to the heart of our culture, just shot right through. But it doesn't have to stay that way. God has, re- God has put the church on the earth to remind the world that he's a God of redemption. He's a God of rescuing. He's, he's a God of fixing and transforming. He's a God that can take the worst of the worst and mix it all together for good. And the ones that enjoy the goodness are ones that love him and are called according to his purpose. And so, Father, I pray as we end our time today that your Holy Spirit, we pray and invite an outpouring of your Holy Spirit right now. We, We cry out, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Spirit, and begin to move in the hearts of the hurting today. Begin to move on the hearts of the wounded, the battling, the angry, the frustrated. God, no more putting on a face just with a smile, but the reality is, is that there are many who need a touch of your spirit today. There are many who need to embrace the Father's love for them. And I pray for an outpouring of your spirit. I pray that it would be felt, not just believed, but that you would touch the emotions today. That you would, God, there's so many hurting. So much pain. So much resistance in the church. So much unwilling to forgive or to lay down our rights. So much blaming and fighting and arguing and establishing and I pray your spirit would fall right now. Fall on marriages. Fall on our children. Fall on the dads. Lord, spirit come. We receive you and we welcome you in this place. We ask God that you would just begin to minister in the deepest level of hearts right now. That you would begin to reveal yourself as a a loving dad. That you would take away the barriers, the walls that we've built that keep us away from you and keep us away from one another. I pray God that just as we we pray and as we seek that you would just move upon your church today, that you would move upon them to receive a special touch from your spirit. And so I just want to tell you, if that's you today, you can, just, you can open your eyes and look at me if you want. We can just say amen to the prayer. And if you're here today and you just need the Holy Spirit, you just want to bring your life before God, that some of what I share today, the Spirit of God is just 
Just open up your heart, men or women, uh, women or kids, boys or girls, it doesn't matter. It's not a Father's Day message as much as it is a Father in Heaven message. And I'm just going to stand up where you're at and come right up to the stage right now. Just wherever you are, just come on up. Uh, and, and, and let's, I know, you, you know, you're like, Ed, what, what are you doing? We don't do that on Sundays. Well, you know, um, yes, we do. We're doing it right now. And I'm inviting you right now to make, to, to, to have a tangible response to what the Holy Spirit shared with you. So just come on up and we'll wait for you. We're, Chris is going to lead us in a song. Uh, and it's a song, just come up and don't worry about people. Don't worry about your spouse. Don't worry about what people are going to think or any of that. This is between you and the Father. And this is symbolic. It's a symbolic walk. It's something you can hold on to. It's something you can tangibly hold on to. It's not a call for salvation or anything. Although, if you need to be saved, come up. If you need to be saved, come. Um, but um, I'm, I'm feeling the same exact stinking resistance that I have at every service. And it's just you that's going to lose. And it's just our church that's going to lose. And it's just our community that's going to lose. And you absolutely gain nothing by fighting God right now. You gain nothing. Your family gains nothing by you fighting and you holding on to your pride right now. And you just not willing to lay your life down. Not willing to walk 20 steps. Not willing to embarrass yourself, which it's really not embarrassing. Or whatever it might be. Um, and, and I pray against, Lord, I pray against the resistance right now. I pray you move in your spirit right now to release people to obey you. Just release that spirit of obedience among us, God, that there would be a brokenness in this room, that there would be a softness towards you, Lord, that, that there would be a... Uh, I don't have any more to say, Lord. You, you move right now. We ask you in Jesus' name. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.